0: I'm Jeffrey Rickman, and I'm the pastor at the United Methodist Churches in Nowata and Delaware. And from time to time, I host conversations with other pastors that I respect and have a lot to learn from. And today, I'm really happy to be joined by my friend, Coulter Connor, who is indeed a pastor. I've known him for some time. He was a youth pastor here at Hillside Church whenever I moved here in 2015. And he moved away, but we've stayed friends ever since. And uh, so I pray that you would stay with us. This time, he and I uh, love talking about most important things. He has a, a great wellspring of wisdom uh, to draw on. And uh, I am, i you know, you probably don't have anything to learn from me. You probably listen to me so much. But uh, anyway, if this is a conversation you enjoy, I would just, on the front end, and, and encourage you to share it with your friends and just spend some time uh, thinking about the Lord and learning about the Lord from my friend, Coulter. So, Coulter, welcome. I got you right when you're taking a sip, yeah.
1: It's good to be here. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Yeah,
0: yeah. Go ahead and take a sip, um, and I I will uh, set you up a little bit. Coulter, since I've known him, has graduated to be not—you're no longer a youth pastor. You're a real pastor. Um, I I know youth pastors uh, uh, hate—that was a tacky thing to say on purpose, but um, Coulter has served in ministry— in california and now he's in kansas north of me by an hour um and he's also on a phd track um through uh uh, i can usually think of the college name but anyway why don't you give a brief bio about yourself so that people know uh you know what you're talking about know your background and then we'll we'll move on from there well if i know
1: what i'm talking about is still to be determined but uh a little bit of a background grew up in missouri grew up um both my parents are believers. Dad's an elder uh, in a small country church there. And, uh, you know, came to faith and was baptized at an early age. But like many, um, you know, had a falling out or a, a time of rebellion. And the Lord, um, through his kind providence, drew me back to him through various means and life circumstances. And um, got into ministry Um, was not my, getting into ministry, uh, so to speak, was not my game plan. I wanted to play college baseball, wanted to coach baseball, do all things baseball as a career. And uh, that didn't work out. And so um, the Lord drew me back to to the ministry. And, and, um, you know, I uh, moved in with my parents and went to Bible college so I could save money. And and yeah, kind of everything from that point forward and 2013 to now. Where did you go to Bible college? uh, Central Christian College of Kansas. Okay, it's out in McPherson, Kansas. Okay, I just went. I did their online program. Okay, I've only been to the campus one time, Um, so I can't really say I went to Bible college. I experienced Uh Bible college through the internet. Uh Um, So yeah, I've been doing ministry since 2013 in various different roles. As you said, was a was a youth pastor for a good bit, and then um, graduated to be a real pastor. Um, still trying to figure out what that looks like every yep. day. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, done ministry in Oklahoma, Missouri, California, and uh, now in Southeast Kansas. Um, and uh, been a been a ride, been a ride. And uh, as far as me personally, married to Erin A. Um, she was a PK, preacher's kid. Mm-hmm. And so uh, she had a kind of a taste for the ministry and somehow uh, convinced her, talked her into it, uh, mm-hmm. to marrying me. We've got Two beautiful young boys, Caleb and uh, Noah.
0: Yeah. Uh, Talk about the Ph.D. program.
1: Yeah, Ph.D. program at Midwestern uh, Seminary in Kansas City, Um, New Testament emphasis. I am uh, getting ready in the next uh, about five to six months, depending on timing, to start writing my dissertation, getting coursework all finished up, making some proposals to the dissertation committee. And so, uh, looking forward to getting into that. I'll be writing on the uh, the telos of suffering in First Peter. And, uh, telos
0: I, is Greek for end point, goal,
1: goal, purpose, yeah. end point. Yeah, the purpose of suffering. Purpose of suffering in First Peter, Peter. Is, um, is really my. Uh, I love all things First Peter, but as I've read the letter and um, studied it, I feel like I have a contribution to make about what uh, what what First Peter. Uh, what Peter is trying to communicate to his audience—he's
0: scandalous, scandalous. Well, I think it's scandalous to our culture. Says uh, in First Peter that it's it's good to suffer, uh, not for wrongdoing, but for doing right. Yeah. Uh, which goes against yep. our cultural ethic, which is, yeah, let's make people suffer for doing wrong, but if you've done right, you should stand yeah. up for yourself. And he yeah. says the opposite yeah. don't stand yeah. up for yourself, that they would be
1: scandalized. Yeah. Yeah. First Peter uh, there in chapter three is pretty, yeah, there's a lot going on there that is total opposite of our culture. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the idea that it's better to suffer for doing good if that should be God will mm-hmm. than for doing evil is. Uh, oh, how
0: do you figure out if it's God's will?
1: Yeah, well, we can get into that later. Um, <laughs> okay, but there's
0: hypothetically some suffering for yeah, I doing think good that is not God's will that, that is then not okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, I mean uh, – yeah. Okay, we'll come back to that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. We, might, we might have a good old-fashioned Jeffrey Coulter dust-up. We've had yeah. a few over the years, and that's what I've really – you're probably my favorite person to argue with because the whole time there is no question that we are brothers who – Uh, are on the same page loving the Lord and and, uh, seeking truth together.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, some of the— Well, you
0: say absolutely, but that's not usually how No, yeah, and of course, yeah, that
1: that might not be the case in all circumstances. But I I think a good theological um, sparring match where two people or three people, um, however many, are in genuine fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ Mm -hmm. and um, seeking to allow Scripture— to guide their their thoughts, mm-hmm. and their emotions, and their intellectual, you know, um, wrestling is uh, it's one of the great joys of my life. Right. Hence, <laughs> yeah. wanting to do uh, academic and PhD work where um, at, at a school at a confessional, you know, at a school that um, is tethered to the Word, um, loves the Lord, is for the local church. Midwestern's motto is for the church. They want mm-hmm. to. Um, equip men and women um, for gospel ministry in the local church, including PhD studies, if sure. the Lord should will. And so well, I, and they, I love that. There are, a
0: lot of, <clears throat> there are a lot of PhD and master's programs that have nice language like that. Mm-hmm. There are not as many that actually practice that, yeah. but you're, you're a part of a, a degree program that's actually practicing that well. Yeah. yeah,
1: in my experience, very well. Yeah.
0: I just got to sit down on Wednesday with the president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University, the, the new president, uh, uh, Jim Dunn. Cool. And um, it sounds like they're an institution that practices what they preach as well, which I grew up going to um, two institutions that had religious roots but mm-hmm. had no interest in remaining yeah. uh, faithful to anything recognizably Christian. So yeah. I'm a little bit envious, uh, <laughs> although I, uh, you couldn't pay me enough to do a Ph.D. program now. Um, talk about what, what your primary passions are in, in pastoral ministry. Let's stay away from the academic stuff, but in pastoral ministry, yeah, what, yeah. Do, what do you love? What are you excited to preach about, do you?
1: Man, I, I love a uh, few things. One, I love teaching God's Word. I love discipling, specifically men, um, and seeing how the, by the Spirit and by the Word, they're transformed um, into the image of Christ. Uh, I, I think from a church standpoint, I, one of the things, and i take a step back, uh, one of the things that I observed in my own experience and then as the experience of the Christian church in general, and this is kind of some of the roots of why I wanted to write on First Peter. But um, I think in general, uh, the American church, Christians in America, um, have an anemic theology of suffering.
0: Anemic meaning? um, not very robust or yeah, healthy. weak, They stayed healthy. on the milk, not gotten to the meat.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, um, and I think we, we've, we've seen the results of that, um, over these last couple of years where, you know, people have stopped attending church or stopped going to church because they didn't like a decision, whether it was, the, you know, one way or the other, they just, they, they disengaged. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I think there's much to learn from the Scriptures about how to deal with suffering, mm-hmm. um, how to, dare I say, rejoice in the midst of suffering. Yeah. Um, and First Peter has a great deal to say about that. And so from from a pastoral standpoint, I really like and am interested in having conversations with people of how they can deal with the difficulties of everyday living mm-hmm. um, or the deal with the difficulties of Christian persecution, if mm-hmm. so they should come. Um, while at the same time uh, maintaining Paul's instruction in Philippians four four of taking delight in the Lord, be glad in the Lord always. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, how does that work? And, and teaching people, leading people to the to the idea of yeah, uh, day in day out uh, life can be difficult, right? Getting up at four a.m. to go to work, or you know, uh, digging a ditch, laying asphalt, uh, working overnights in the hospital—all these things can be difficult. But there is, um, there is still great joy to be had because of who Christ is and what he's done for us.
0: Yeah, to, if you're going to be a pastor, so the pastors that do well in America are people, the ones that don't talk about suffering. Hmm. They talk about how God is going to prosper you, yeah. and God is going to give you your heart's desire if you just serve him the right way and give enough money. Yeah. What you're doing is the opposite of that, which is… I hope so. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> which, which, you know, they're, they're, I think there are a lot of people who have a stereotype in their head of pastors, being worldly people who desire money and, and to that end, they're going to corrupt the scriptural words so that they they preach what people will give money uh, mm-hmm. to hear. And there are some of those, but those are, uh, I would say a minority. I would say the vast majority of at least small town church pastors are, uh, are really trying to preach the truth of God's word. And I think you're totally right to focus on suffering um, because this is one of many countercultural witnesses that the people of Christ have mm-hmm. to offer the world. Mm-hmm. Um, in 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 less materially developed parts of the world, suffering is just a, a part of life. Yeah. And um, they glom on to the, the passages that Americans kind of flee from mm-hmm. because it gives meaning and purpose to their suffering. Yep. We have a culture where suffering is actually... Quite rare when you're when you're talking about um, dire poverty, yeah. Um, um, intertribal warfare. Um, there are people who suffer in our society, and we generally don't like looking at them or listening to them while they're going mm-hmm. through it. It makes us uncomfortable. We'd rather yeah. not suffer. So I, I was going to read the first chapter of James, the first few verses talking about suffering. Perhaps you'd be willing to find one or two passages in First Peter yeah, to read to us about suffering while I'm reading this. My brothers, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. So I, I was like that, and of course it talks about trials rather than suffering explicitly. But uh, if if suffering is not a trial in your faith, then uh, I don't I don't know what your suffering is like. Yeah. So I connect it to that. I feel like First Peter says several things that parallel that pretty easily. Yeah, I'm and sure.
1: in fact, in First Peter chapter one, verse um, verse six, some of the Greek in First Peter and James are identical. Really? Um, yeah, and so in First Peter one six uh Peter says you rejoice in this and i take the this the antecedent there i take as being the salvation that's being kept for us in in heaven ready to be revealed and so he says you rejoice in this even though now for a short time if necessary you suffer grief in various trials um and then uh fast forward and peter unpacks i think that statement right there throughout mm-hmm. the letter mm-hmm. but fast forward to 419 and uh, what many what many scholars of First Peter have come to recognize is that kind of the thesis statement for the whole letter is four nineteen says therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful Creator by doing what is good, um, and so the I think the culmination of suffering, especially in the Christian life in the path of obedience. Mm-hmm is that we would entrust ourselves to God. Um and and different people have different thoughts on uh what soul means there, but it, it at least means our whole life. And um, is it suke? Suke, yeah. And so, you know, entrusting ourselves, entrusting our lives to God by doing what is good, even even if it should be God's will that we suffer is the goal, I think, of suffering, that, that it might draw us closer um, to a closer dependence, um, and some might say even a closer joy in mm-hmm. the Lord rather than in the, in the things of this this life. And so um, I think in a world where we are distracted mm-hmm. constantly, and our affections and our time are are consistently being grasped, grasped at by different things, um sometimes I think the Lord allows us to suffer so that we can focus our time and our attention back to, to the creator, the one who, who gives life. And, uh, we in America often would see that as being a bad thing. I think first Peter sees that as being a good thing.
0: Right? Yeah. 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 What do we do with a God who treats things we think are bad as good? Um, and then does things that we're told are good, but feel bad. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, um, that that's a very challenging thing for our era. I want to come back and talk about suffering a bit more. Yeah. Uh, before we do that, I kind of wanted to check in with you. I remember talking with you several years ago about the denomination that you have served within. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are uh, I I think it's helpful. A lot of people are very intimidated by talking about different denominations and mm-hmm. what they believe and figuring out okay, is uh, how how far from the truth would say a Mormon be versus a Roman Catholic versus a Methodist Mm -hmm. versus, you know, where do they fit within? And then your particular tradition is not uh, one of the top 10 largest traditions, I think, in the United States. However, it does have some distinctives that I think are are interesting and worthy. So tell us the name, the story behind how it started, and and today, what what distinctives define it?
1: Yeah, it's kind of a little bit... um... It's a, it's a little bit difficult to nail down. Mm-hmm. I, I would say that. Um, so a part of and serve in the restoration movement, a uh, movement that started Second Great Awakening, middle, late 18th, middle, late 19th century. Sorry. Uh, Barton Stone, Alexander Thomas Campbell. And uh, I think it's um, I think its origins were noble. Um, I think the way that that has played out over the last 150 years or so has had varying degrees of success. I think that's a fair assessment of our history. Um, as far as distinctives, uh, you know, one of the big distinctives is that they are non-creedal, um, and they really want to uh, grasp and get their their theological convictions from the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Which is good in, in a sense, um, but it's also bad in a sense because it detaches our movement a little bit from the, the church Catholic and the, the faith that has been handed down uh, throughout the centuries. Um, and so I think if I think a historical theology, historical retrieval, which has been a big thing here lately in, uh, in Christian academic circles— I think the restoration movement could could uh, benefit from that, mm-hmm. seeing how uh, our how our convictions have been formulated and in, in how they've been traced throughout the the, the history of the Christian faith. Um, as far as as far as distinctives go, uh, that's a little bit more difficult, especially now to pin down, because uh, I've I know friends and have friends that serve all over the country that have a little bit different flavor of distinctives. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I would say that in general, we're broadly evangelical. We we want to um, we have a high view of scripture, (laughs) very high view of scripture. Mm -hmm. Um, We have a high view on the need for to trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and that you know you don't just become a Christian because your grandmother was a Christian um, or that your mom and dad raised you in the church. You need to have a a real personal experience with the risen Christ, right? And so, um, you know, that's a distinctive for us. We we are we have a high view of of baptism. Um, you know, kind of one of those things we 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 don't wanna we wanna be careful how we word it, obviously in, in a in a nuanced in a nuanced world. Um, but you know, we just see baptism as being a very critical um, part of the salvation matrix or experience i
0: don't know why on earth you guys would think that yeah, it, yeah uh, it's not like the scriptures talk about that yeah I,
1: we just take Peter at his word when he says repent and be baptized uh-huh. um yeah, so yeah we you know those are kind of some of our distinctives um uh broadly speaking we're more on the conservative side of some of the social issues um but also there's a liberty and a freedom because we're a we're kind of a we 're a movement, not really a network or an association so you know, there's not really any real accountability to one another, other than just um, a mutual cooperation and fellowship.
0: So. so, would you be rightly considered a denomination or
1: uh, I, more of a they, network? They, yeah, they would say probably more of a network. I, I think the people, and, and I don't, I don't get into those things as much. Yeah. Um, but I think most people in the Restoration Movement would say, no, we're more of a network. Well, is um, there shared money? No, no, there's no shared money. And no, shared money. no shared money. Um, there's no
0: shared. Uh, uh, administrative structure? No. no. Okay.
1: No, it's all by, you know, like if you want to give to restoration movement-based Bible colleges, you're free to do so, missionaries, but all of that is at the discretion of the local church. So
0: are there local churches that would say, we're a restoration movement church?
1: Some would, yeah. Yeah. And then some would just say we're an independent Christian church or we're a Church of Christ. Can you
0: be a restoration church and affiliated with a denomination, another denomination?
1: You know, that's a good question. I do not know that. Okay. I I've, I've never explored that. Um, I've never explored that avenue.
0: I've kinda liked imagining a future where my church just affiliates with as many denominations as we possibly can.
1: Yeah, there uh, there are there are some churches that are like that. Yeah. Especially churches that um, as long as you as as long as like uh, for instance, I know there's some Baptist churches that are affiliated with more than just the s b c they're affiliated with different certain uh and as long as you adhere to their broad theological convictions mm-hmm. um you can you can do that and I think that that's something um yeah one of the weaknesses of our movement would be that we don't pool our resources for missionaries and education mm-hmm. um and so being a, having done a couple different degrees in the Southern Baptist Convention, that has been one of my um, – one of the things I think is a strength for them and something that they should be credited for for seeing a long time ago of pulling money for missionary outreach, yeah. um, which they have a – if you've ever studied the SBC missions, yeah. it's yeah. really, really good. Um, both local and abroad. Not I think just. they have
0: the second largest missions, uh, denominational missions arm behind Catholic charities.
1: Probably, it doesn't surprise me at all. Um, they might
0: be behind the Methodists. UMCOR is really big. Oh. Um,
1: just the, the work that they do, though, um, planting churches overseas, sending missionaries to unreached people groups, but then also responding to disasters in the United right? States yeah. is a phenomenal. And then their education. Um, I think is uh, we're talking you know, about SBC right now. Yeah, SBC. Yeah. yeah, their education. You know, like if you're if you're an SBC pastor, you get 50 percent off your theological education. Which, if anybody has ever looked at the cost of theological education, that's a huge blessing. Sure. So,
0: yeah. Um, the The only thing you didn't mm-hmm. say about the restoration, the story of the restoration movement founding, the way you recounted it to me several mm-hmm. years ago was these two original foundies, founders that you named mm-hmm. had both been reading their Bibles separately and coming to similar convictions about yeah. just restoring a fundamental loyalty to the biblical text. And then they yeah. met each other, yeah. had already started their own movements that then came yeah. together. Yeah, and kind of
1: combined them.
0: Yeah, I'm, So I recalled that correctly? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, yeah. good for me. Yeah,
1: look at you. Um, I think you're ready for a PhD. Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> let's talk uh, briefly about the role of creeds, um, and then we'll come back to suffering. Yeah, um, yeah. Because I think this is something that, that turns off a lot of people. I think it's the disciples' tradition that, that they have a slogan, no creed but Christ, right? Yeah,
1: and that would be uh, the church that I grew up in. So <laughs> the church that I grew up in, uh, on the back of the bulletin, said no, no creed but Christ, um, which is uh, – we'll, we can get into that later. But uh, yeah. no creed but Christ, no book but the Bible, and uh, um, I could, there was one more. I mm-hmm. can't remember what it was. Um, but it was kind of one of those things. Like, these people know that, like, by them stating these things, they are stating creeds. <laughs> sure. Yeah. 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 Uh,
0: just a more abbreviated yeah, creed, less yeah. formal language. Yeah. That's fun. The the, I think it's helpful for people to hear a recitation in some sense of why creeds might be important. I, the brief thing you said, I think, was that by rejecting creeds. Believers in churches uh, disconnect themselves from the church Catholic. Yeah. Uh, the, the word Catholic comes from the Latin, catholicum, which means universal. Yeah. And the, the the high priestly prayer that Jesus prays in John, I think, 17, yeah. is that we would all be one mm-hmm. as he and the Father are one. Yeah. That the, the prayer for the church is not that we would be splintered the way that we are. Yeah. But that we could be united in one true faith, Um, and uh, you you paraphrase, I think Jude, the faith that was once and for all entrusted to the saints. So um, to equate, uh, I think a lot of people would just say, "Fine, yeah, there's the one true faith, Mm -hmm. Christ's, but that has nothing to do with creeds. Creeds are just an invention of man that were made uh, for unnecessary control and maybe to subvert parts of Scripture by focusing on." And some have things, you know, the Apostles' Creed talks about Jesus descending to the dead. The Bible doesn't even talk about that. So oh, you're going to make whoa, that essential whoa, for faith?
1: Whoa. Go ahead. I don't know if we have time to go down that rabbit hole, but I would, I would argue against In And Peter? Uh, I would say First Peter has something to say about it too. But um, uh, go ahead. C- complete your thought. But that, we, could, we could talk about that for a while. Um, go but, ahead. So
0: the, the thought would be that, yeah. that creeds are unnecessary— at best, and harmful at worst, and that we are wise just to focus on what's in the Bible. So um, is that point sound, or does Christian history teach us anything about that perspective?
1: Yeah, I I think uh, 10 years ago I would have agreed with what you just said, Mm -hmm. and now I don't at all. Um, I think creeds are extremely helpful. Um, I think there's a reason why the early church, the early church Mm fathers— Um, needed to solidify what the Bible said about key issues like um, Jesus and like God. Uh Um, And so, yeah, the idea that creeds are unhelpful at best and harmful at worst is just, uh, I I think it's probably an experiential um, view from someone who has been harmed by a church that's very creedal. Uh, But I, I mean, you look at the Apostles' Creed and I see in Creed um these are these are um these are creeds confessions however you want to say it mm-hmm. that the that the church gathered around rallied around for centuries mm-hmm. and um and that's uh they are accepted accepted creeds of what it means to be a follower of Jesus um the reason why they you made them you said
0: follower not father i'm just follower that yeah for follower listeners. of Jesus
1: yeah they um, they they made these so that they could solidify and clarify mm-hmm. who was actually being faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ and, and the Triune God. And so, yeah, I I, I take I would push back. But there against are so it. many people who
0: think that that's self evident. From you just read the Bible and then you apply that to your life. You, there's no need for a creed.
1: To yeah. That. Then then I would just say those people haven't studied church history because yeah, that's the point. I do yeah. it. Uh, Because you look at the early church, even Paul's letters, right? Even Paul's letters are writing to correct error Mm -hmm. uh, in people's thinking and people's feeling. And the assumption that
0: people would carry is that people are in error because they're not reading their Bibles. That if they just read their Bibles, they would not be in error. Is that.
1: Yeah, I I think that's an assumption. I think it's a false assumption. Okay. Um, Partly due because, and I might get in trouble for this, but. we're reading in English, a translation, mm-hmm. a Bible translation, and um, and I've had this conversation with other people. Uh, when when you read your your English translation, and mm-hmm. nine at nine point five out of ten of them are great. I want to be be clear on sure. that. Be clear on that. But the editors and the translating committee have made hundreds, if not thousands, of exegetical decisions right. before you've even read in the beginning. Sure. Yeah. Um, and so uh there are there are things that are smoothed out in the English that are very debatable in in the Greek and the Hebrew text and there are things that are even I think there's things that are even difficult to 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 wrestle with in sure. the, in the English. And so the idea that one just needs their bible and that they can um I, I, then they can uh, ascertain and apply everything from that point forward I think is a little bit uh, naive. Do we have everything we need for salvation in Jesus Christ? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, are there some difficult things that we need to iron out and clarify? Um, absolutely. So both of those things can be true, if that makes sense.
0: Well, and I, I wouldn't disagree with any of that. The the part I was going to supplement, if you didn't mm-hmm. say it was, um, heretics and demonic persons often know the Scriptures as good, well or better than yeah. – the orthodox. And yeah. so you have when Satan uh tempts Jesus in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Quotes scripture to do yeah. it. Uh yeah. the the earliest heresy that the church had to really rev up to deal with was the Arian heresy. Yeah. Arius and his followers knew the Scriptures with, the, like, the back of their hand, yeah. you know? Yep. So they realized that there had to be a litmus test in accordance with the Scriptures mm-hmm. that, that determined right reading of the Scriptures yep. to be considered part of the Church Catholic. Yep. And if you don't have that, then you do have heretical movements, mm-hmm. say, like Mormonism, yep. that use the same Bible as us. Yeah. They add yep. on to it, though, yep. to then sway the doctrines and the story yep. and the witness about— and they fundamentally misunderstood the Trinity. Yeah. Um, So without creeds… Same
1: could be true about Jehovah's Witnesses.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and uh, uh, even within denominations that are… Well, so Methodism is technically not creedal. It is not essential to confess any of the creeds in order to be a Methodist. Mm -hmm. In the new Breakaway (laughs) Global Methodist Church denomination, they are reestablishing, I think, the Nicene Creed as the centerpiece of determining the faith. Nobody ever talks about the Athanasian Creed. I don't know why. It's the best one, in my opinion, ends with an anathema. Um, But even so, um, we have a wellspring of knowledge to draw on. My theory has been people reject the creeds because they're intimidated by them. It's much easier to have your personal walk with your Bible, your key verses that you like, but to be held to a universal litmus test that is distilled wisdom of the ages Mm -hmm. that you – have not valued or held or some of it even makes you uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. What does it mean when I say the forgiveness of sins Mm -hmm. or, um, um, the resurrection of the body? A lot of people are fuzzy on that or the communion of saints. Uh, what's the difference of that? And, um, um, the, uh, well, we can get into a—I yeah. don't think we have to, but I think a lot of people are very intimidated by that. <laughs> and they're not intimidated by picking on what scriptures they like. And then we just don't even talk about yeah. the vast majority of the Bible. We just have our key verses. Mm-hmm. People want to believe that the faith is something that you can feel and have your basic thoughts about, and that's enough.
1: Yeah, um, yeah I, I would piggyback off that um, to say that— To move away from the creeds, especially the main creeds of the church Catholic, um, is – it puts us in danger of making faith too personal. Um, One of the brilliant things of the early church, especially in the book of Acts, is the communal aspect of the Christian faith, of the – you know, you think about Acts 2.42 – um, the the breaking of the bread, the sharing in the needs, the being in each other's homes. Yeah, being yeah. in each other's homes. Um, in, in America, and even Western society in general, I think we can go beyond America. Mm-hmm. We are individualistic to a fault. And um, one of the things the creeds can do is remind us of the communal aspect of the Christian faith. Right on. Um, and I think that that is a, I think that's, a um, addition mm-hmm. that's a benefit mm-hmm. there's the word i'm looking for that we need uh we need a lot of we we need to be reminded that we don't just follow Christ on an individual level we right. follow Christ on a communal level and so um, I I want my people at Christ Church of Labette County I want them to to value <laughs> the relationships that they have In our local church, Mm -hmm. um, to a degree higher than anything else, Um, and I, I, you know, even even maybe family. Um, I I heard one, uh, I heard one missionary one time. He was preaching at a missionary conference, talk about how you know we have more in common with brothers and sisters in China that are followers of Jesus than we do an aunt or uncle that that hates God, right? And to say that in America just makes people just go whoa 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 yeah. But to look at Scripture yeah right yeah to 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 listen to the words of Jesus yeah this is my family right um it's indisputable right, right. it's indisputable it makes us uncomfortable right? right even saying that right to my in my own mouth I'm a little bit like oh man I don't know that might get me in trouble but it's true I mean it's true that, that if yeah. we are in union with Christ yeah um, it's
0: not aspirational language that's that's literal language. You know, yeah, it's yeah. Um, that when Jesus uses that language, he is not going to an extreme to make a. No. Uh, he is he is actually saying, no, if you want right, to be my mother, my brothers, my sisters, yeah. you will obey my father. Yeah. You will listen to my commands and and do them. Yeah. And if you don't do that, you're not my brethren. If you do do that, you're my brethren, and you're each other's brethren. Yeah. and that's what the church is. Yeah so the reason you talk about uh community when we're talking about creeds is because it's very typical in the local church to recite the creeds communally and we don't let local churches amend the creeds to to fit their local context or needs uh what you find in creedal churches is a uh the the congregation speaks with one voice and says this is what we believe and if you have a a non-creedal background. A lot of times, you'll step into a church like that and be yeah. like, "Is this a cult?" You yeah, know. Yeah. But um, yeah. a lot of times, what you encounter in the Bible is a drive and a desire to unite us all in one mind yeah. under the lordship of Christ right. Jesus, and of course, that results in shared word-for-word beliefs. Yeah. Um, tying that back to where uh, we started, suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, Christ Jesus suffered. He led a, a hard life, ending on a cross. Um, when you read through the New Testament, all of the people who followed him uh, suffered, if not died for the faith. Yeah. And then when you look at the places where the church is most active and most vibrant today, mm-hmm. it's oftentimes in, in situations where the church as a whole and individuals are suffering greatly. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just kind of a, a touchstone for where you want to go with that. Let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about tying the communal nature of faith in Jesus mm-hmm. Christ and the essential nature of of suffering in the Christian faith. What do you think about all that?
1: Yeah, I I think it's um, I think the community um, as it and actually. Um, a, a, there's a scholar who wrote a PhD on the liminality of the Christian experience in First Peter. Liminality, liminality. being the middle place. Yeah, and um, and and or a his,
0: threshold. You're trans. Yeah, you're coming his, into something.
1: Yeah, and his whole thought was is that, or his whole argument or main thesis of his thought is is that the suffering of First Peter. Mm-hmm. Um, is what brings this shared experience is what brings them closer to Jesus, um, as Christ suffered and left for us an example. First Peter two, um, so the, the the community of Asia Minor, these churches,
0: modern day Turkey,
1: uh, modern day Turkey, they experienced a very not the exact same thing, right? But they experienced a similar type of thing that brought them closer to one another in their relationship. Mm-hmm. But also brought them closer to being conformed to the image of of Christ.
0: So let me let me say an offensive thing, and then you get to do with it what you want. But uh, the proposition being that you cannot grow in a mature sense closer to Christ without suffering for His name's sake.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think to uh, to varying degrees that is very true.
0: So if you in your uh, personal life, as long as
1: as long as we're speaking in a nuanced generality sense. Yeah, suffering um suffering if you want to grow closer to the lord you are going to have to in some way probably suffer um i think of can well, we
0: take probably out of that and it still be true yeah i think
1: so okay. I, I think i mean um I'm, I'm trying to think of any instances in church history uh where people did great things for the lord without being uh without suffering and I, I don't really.
0: Oh, you, I'm, I. So I would say you can do great things okay, for yeah. the Lord without suffering. I think yeah. history is replete with that. But to say that you cannot not walk rightly with the Lord, I, I'm going to go back to that. Yeah. You cannot walk rightly with the Lord without suffering for His name's sake.
1: Well, um, yeah, I mean, you'd have to define suffering for His name's sake, just for the sense of. I mean, you could do a lot. You could you could become a mature Christian in America and never be. Tarned, and feathered or beaten for the name of Jesus, uh, as long as you're willing to— We're talking
0: about literally—usually tarred yeah. and feathered is meant in a figurative yeah. sense, but you're saying yeah. in previous societies and in some societies today, yeah. you would be physically beaten yeah. or uh, expelled and from I the And I think
1: that—I would, I would say this just real quick. I think the—and uh, I think First Peter is, is key—it uh, uh, it has a word to say for us in modern day in this. I think we um, underplay— underplay the role of emotional suffering for being a christian Mm -hmm. and uh and we tend to in america think okay we've got it so great because we're not physically being beaten we're not physically being dragged off to prison like people in the bible were like our brothers and sisters are and 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 i am please hear me so grateful for that like i'm i'm glad that i don't have to worry about uh, police coming in the middle of the night and, and and snatching me away from my family for preaching the truth right however however we are not just physical people. Right. We are spiritual and, emotion, and we have emotions and affections. And so <clears throat> I think First Peter has a lot to say about the role of being slandered and ostracized for following Jesus. Sure. And I think um, the role that that plays in our faith and the pressure. Here's what I would say about a modern sense. The pressure that comes from having someone tell you over and over and over again that you're bigoted that you're close-minded that you're uh you know whatever you want to add hateful hateful oh, yeah. uh, unloving right that you're trying uh, to kill grandma yeah, that you hate the, gay people yeah stuff like the, that. all these things because you are trying to follow Jesus um, those things wear on people whether we care to admit them or not they wear on people and um that's what is going on we see that a lot happening in the in the first century church Mm-hmm. And I think that that in you know, Christians America, Christians were
0: called atheists. Yep. They were called uh, uh, baby eaters. Yeah, uh, they they were uh, um, called ignorant, yep. idiote, people yep. of the, uh, the backcountry yep. that were making a home in cities. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's um, well, let's let's look at Jesus' words. Uh, Matthew chapter five, verse eleven. This is at the end of the Beatitudes. Blessed are you when people revile you Mm -hmm. and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So he doesn't even talk about physical uh, maybe that's under the umbrella of persecution, but he talks about people speaking evil against you falsely yep. uh, 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 when when they revile you. So that's primarily emotional, and of course, the the physical is an outgrowth of the emotional a lot of the time.
1: Yeah, and and so in First Peter, to always want to circle back. Please do, to that, yeah, yeah. Um, Peter, not directly quoting Jesus, but using some of the similar structure and, ver- and vernacular in vernacular in in Greek, he says. Uh, do not repay evil for evil or insult for insult, but rather, or on the contrary, offer a blessing mm-hmm. since you were called to this so that you may inherit a blessing. So, yeah, I mean, evil for evil, there's probably just a general, you know, evil things for evil things, but insult right. for insult, right? right? I mean, that's a verbal exchange mm-hmm. that um, we are to forego for the sake of of Christ, not... Not, uh, not getting even through um, insulting our opponent.
0: Did you ever uh, read uh, Krieger's The Patient Ferment of the Early Church?
1: I have not. I have not read so that. So he says that
0: in the first three centuries of the church, a non-negotiable fundamental quality of being a Christian was non-retaliation. That if you were a person who re- retaliated um, in any sense, defending yourself, standing mm-hmm. up for yourself, that that the Christian habitus had not been formed in you and you could not be initiated into yeah. the church.
1: Yeah, and we, we see there's denominations like that in America today that are, are – um, with varying degrees of, of, of nuance, pacifist, non-retaliation. Yeah, the Mennonites are all um, I think of now. Yeah, I think some of the Anabaptists, uh, others, other of those would be, yeah. um, would be in that, that ild. Um, I, I think I'm perfectly comfortable saying that if you are persecuted verbally or physically for this – because you're a Christian, right, for the name mm-hmm. of Christ – I think our call is non-retaliation. As- well, two
0: things that I I have added. To, so one is, and I'm sorry I cut you yeah, off. I'm just go. I love talking, um, and listening. But um, one is that in the early church they knew that physical suffering did have a place in the li- life of every believer. Mm-hmm. And if you were physically persecuted, then that's what you didn't you didn't pursue it, but also whenever it came for you, you didn't run away. Yeah. But secondly, two days a week, Christians were expected to fast, Wednesdays and Fridays. And, and fasting is a physical pain of hunger. It's not crucifixion. Yeah. However, it is a physical pain that prepares you for enduring in the time of yeah. trouble. And that's, I, I wonder if American Christianity's reluctance to fast at this point is tied to our general reluctance to suffer for the name of Jesus.
1: Yeah, I, I I don't think that there's I don't think there's any doubt in that. Um you know, we we like to be comfortable. Yes. I mean, I, that's I like well, to be comfortable. Well, all humans of yeah. all nations yeah.
0: love being comfortable, yeah. but it's it's interesting that we created a church culture yeah. where that's blessed rather than pushed against.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, incorrect and um and, and you know, there's there's varying alleys that you could go down with that mm-hmm. I, I think what i would circle back to for my kind of my own conviction is that starting with nero uh scholar has traced this i think pretty, nero being in uh, nero being roman emperor roman emperor uh 60s who persecuted christians who persecuted christians but starting with nero
0: in- interesting story on nero yep. he was into the theater big drama queen uh part of Rome burned down, and he blamed it on the Christians yeah. to justify a huge persecution of Christians yeah. all right go
1: um and, and yeah, it did some horrendous things to to Christians mm-hmm. um, what i'd say is is that there's a scholar, first Peter scholar who has done a I think a phenomenal job tracing um, from when the persecution of Nero breaks out to when Christianity becomes officially illegal mm-hmm. illegal in the Roman Empire. And what he uses is he coined the term "effectively illegal." Uh-huh. Is that from the time of Nero's persecution to the uh, to when it becomes becomes actual law that it was effectively illegal, and that that persecution wasn't a empire wide um, phenomenon, but that at different instances it it boiled up in different sure. regions. Yeah, just local and, pogroms. Yep. Yeah, and so um, one of the things that um, that one of the reasons why Christians were so, I think, ready to suffer is because um, word traveled. And so while they in, you know, one town may not be undergoing it, they realized, and we see this even from Scripture, right, mm-hmm. in, in the New Testament. Um, we see that, oh, you know, I, I got brothers and sisters over here that something happened that sparked an up, an uprising, and now Christians in that region are being blamed or they're being persecuted. Mm-hmm. Um, and so persecution was sporadic, it was localized, but it was still going on. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, it was a felt, I think it was a felt uh, community um, experience of, you know, first, first Peter says, you know, you realize that your brothers and sisters are experiencing this all over the world. Mm-hmm. I don't think what Peter means there is that literally every corner of the Roman Empire was persecuting the church. Oh, sure, yeah. I think he's speaking in a generality of all the brothers and sisters know that this could happen to them at any point in time, yeah. And so you need to prepare yourself for this, right? You need to you need to brace yourself um, because you're experiencing it now, and more of it may be coming in a in a you know uh, in more intense degree in the future. And you know that this is happening, this is going on, mm-hmm. right? And he could be alluding back to the the Christians in Rome that right. were undergoing, you know. In, but- well, and but
0: on the lines that I that I see you drawing, or the connections that I the language I would put on it is. Mm-hmm. If, if being a Christian is just about me and Jesus, my personal, private, devotional time, mm-hmm. that the church is merely this decorative thing off to the side, mm-hmm. the local church, and then there is no such thing as the universal Catholic church, mm-hmm. then <clears throat> it would be very difficult to prepare me for suffering or for me to suffer in a biblically representative way. Yeah. However, if my faith is communal... And my faith is tied to other believers in my local church who connect me to universal believers throughout not just the world today, but throughout the ages. Mm -hmm. Then I have this wellspring to draw on, not just for wisdom, but for a collective experience of suffering that has been present from the very beginning, going back to Christ himself who suffered on the cross. Paul, uh, I can't quote chapter and verse, talked about completing the sufferings of Christ Jesus in his own body. And if that's what we are also doing, Colossians and one. thank you, um, if, if if that's what we can do, mm-hmm. what one of the questions I was going to ask you was yeah. how in the local church, you know, I'm sure many churches, many believers could hear us talking and go, yes, suffering is obviously important. However, mm-hmm. when you put it to them to actually do it, they're not going to know how. They're not necessarily going to be equipped to do it or inclined to do it necessarily. Yeah. You might get them to a place up here where yeah. they're with... But how do you actually imprint that that willingness to suffer, that sanctity and rejoicing in suffering? Mm-hmm. Um, and is it just we need to preach better sermons? Is it just we need to harp on First Peter more? Mm-hmm. Or the, the, the thing I was going to suggest is, we need to be telling the stories of other Christians that are mm-hmm. suffering today. Yep. Because even if we're not suffering... I honestly think in in America, without bodily suffering, yes, we have emotional suffering, Mm -hmm. but most of that's Mm self-inflicted, in my opinion. I think that—and you don't have to be a Christian to suffer in that way. But I do think when you draw on the wellspring of the Church Catholic, Mm -hmm. you have people that are suffering and persecuted greatly for their faith, that when we understand that they are my brothers and sisters in Christ, their suffering is my suffering then that can reform me, my, my regenerated Christian self can be impacted by that in a way that I am equipped for suffering if I were not tied to them.
1: Yeah, no, I think all that's good. Uh, I I think a few things could be helpful and I don't have a, you know, blueprint on this, but it is, uh, of, it is both pastorally and academically, um, of great interest to me, and uh, but I'm reminded of uh, D. A. Carson, John Piper. Many many of your listeners won't know these names, but they they did a uh, a conversation like this on preaching, and the title of it was "A Thousand Sorrows Teach a Man to Preach," and the um, or maybe it's ten thousand sorrows, but anyways, the idea was that in order to really preach Scripture mm-hmm. in its totality, to preach the whole counsel of God, as Paul says, in Acts, to the Ephesian elders, one needs to undergo some hardship and difficulty, not just for the Christian faith, but just in, in, life, in life, right? Yeah. Like one needs to gain some experience by having their face pushed down in the mud, proverbially, or maybe literally. Um, and so I think that is a big um, a big thing for me of encouraging our people to serve or Take um, risk for the sake of the gospel that may wind up in them, um, not on purpose, but as a result. Right? Like it's better to do good and suffer. It should be should be God's will than rather doing so. So in doing what is good in in the eyes of our Lord Jesus, uh, allowing people to be put themselves in situations where people might have instant backlash to them or um, cut them off from their friend circles. Mm-hmm. And because uh, those things are are uh, those are difficult. If you've ever lost a friend due to convictional or theological reasons, uh, I know that it's not physical suffering, but it is real pain. Sure. And um, and to speak truth into a culture, into a community, into a family. Mm-hmm. Right. Here's a big one. Here into a family about what Scripture says about sexual ethics, about the right of life, um, and then to have. People that you love distance themselves from you. That will you will experience real pain sure. in that, yeah. and that real suffering. Yeah. And we need to, as pastors, I believe I'm convicted by this. We need to be we need to be preparing the hearts and the minds of our people to take such leaps, um, to to speak truth and love, and to respond in gentleness, but also with courage mm-hmm. and conviction. Mm-hmm. And while saying, you know, you know you're gonna have the this view about what the Bible says. I just can't be your friend or I can't, you know, I can't have a socio- in and saying, you know what, I, I get it, but I'm here if you ever wanna have that conversation mm-hmm. because this is what the church has believed for the last two thousand years. About what the Bible says about the sanctity of human life, mm-hmm. or the sexual ethics of of the Christian faith, yeah, and uh, we need to be preparing our people for that. So I think pastors, we need to be preparing our people for the times ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, I think reading uh, people of the faith that came before us. I remember several years ago uh, this this biography I read about William Tyndale, and uh, and I'm shocked that no one's made a movie about it because his life is. Astounding. English. Um, English. English he, uh, reformer.
0: He translated the Bible whenever that was punishable by death, and yes. he died for it. Tr- tr- uh,
1: and, and, and did so. And did so. Uh, his, his whole his – whole, uh, and I'm not going to quote him exactly because it's been a while. It's been three or four years since I read his biography. But his whole thing was is that he wanted to put the English Bible in the hand of the plowboy on the English countryside right, yeah, yeah. so that they might know the scriptures. Uh-huh. And uh, – but, yes, of course, It's illegal. Um, it's illegal. the uh, the The church controlled who could translate and who could not translate the Bible, and so he learns. He he teaches himself Greek. He uh, gets a Greek. I think it would have
0: t- been Latin. No, did he do it out of they the Greek? Did it Greek. Really? Yeah, 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 Excuse yeah, me. First okay.
1: first translation of the Greek New Testament, and so he he gets the Greek Bible, and he uh, th- over the course of years. Is going from place to place in Europe, trying to translate this into English. He accomplishes it, and uh, and then he starts smuggling English Bibles back into England, okay. and does this for numerous of years. Uh, is able if I'm if my mind is not uh, failing me. I believe he he translates uh, the first five books of the Hebrew Bible into English before he's captured, and. Um, and taken, and taken and ultimately burned at the stake. And and, right. and as he's being burned at the stake, he says, God, open the eyes mm-hmm. of the king. Mm-hmm. And uh, as he is, uh, of course, leaves this world and is welcomed by the, the saints and by Jesus Christ. And so um, reading that, uh, just that short biography, 250 pages maybe, um, reading that was just a reminder of, holy cow, how privileged I am Mm -hmm. to have this in front of me every day and read it, pray, meditate, contemplate it. Uh, It it came at the cost of great, very many men and women uh, that came before me that were convicted that Jesus Christ is Lord. Mm -hmm. And tethering ourselves um, to those people through our mutual affections for Jesus, I think is really important. Um, and so I would just encourage people to read more biographies of, especially of Christians who have um, suffered well for Christ. William Tyndale suffered well for Christ.
0: I've kind of imagined having, you know, uh, I'm constrained by a tradition where uh, worshiping for over an hour is is seen as pushing it, you know. Yeah. But I've kind of wanted to have a weekly installment by someone else in the church who just tells the story of mm-hmm. a different martyr each week yeah. or, uh, you know, either a, a classical historical martyr or someone who's suffering for the faith today. Yeah. I, I uh, have not done what it takes to try and unite my people's personal identities with a universal identity in Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. Um, I preach from the universal book, but it's done so with an American 21st century vernacular. Um, so I'm here. And now I'm going to commit to working on this more intentionally. Um, let's let the the last bit be, we've talked about the church Catholic and and suffering communally, but within the local church, um, we, we minister to people who do suffer mm-hmm. um, and go through trials, and what I believe the normal American church, local mm-hmm. church experience is, is that people keep their, their struggling and suffering quiet mm-hmm. for the most part. They'll only share a little bit, yeah. and that the local church gives them their space and lets them, you know, we'll pray for them, yeah. We'll, we'll, yeah. Um, we'll hope good things for them, mm-hmm. but we don't really want to get in the nitty-gritty of their lives, because if you've ever done that, it's messy, it's awkward, people are defensive, there are a lot of... But do an authentic biblical local church. Mm -hmm. We're told to bear one another's burdens, Mm -hmm. um, uh, weep with those who are weeping, rejoice with those who are rejoicing. How do we do that practically. What does that practically look like in the life of the local church whenever individual members of the body are suffering? How do, how do we bear those burdens? How do we walk with them? What what does it look like in the perfect ideal church?
1: Yeah, I think it first starts with your leadership um, coming to a place of, I mean, I, I think, I mean, most organizations, this isn't rocket science, most organizations, most successful organizations long-term have, have good leaders. And um, so I think if you're wanting a church that forms what – I can't remember who coined this term, but interdependent relationships um, where every person in the body from three-month-old Noah to our 94-year-old Miss Betty um, that can't come to church very often because of physically she just can't make it. Right. But that every one of them has a part to play in this in this family, this spiritual family, um, and that we are relying and connected to one another in some way. Um I think it starts with the leadership, the elders of the local church, the deacons, setting the pace for that, and allowing themselves to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, uh, you you know a little bit of our story, but your people don't. But you know, when 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 Aranae was was diagnosed with cancer, that was a an eye. your wife. A., my wife was diagnosed with cancer. That was an eye opener. Of uh, we can't do this just with us two. Like mm-hmm. we need. Our church family, and we needed our extended family and and here's what was uh, what was so um, humbling and sweet Jeffrey is that we had people that we had done ministry with through all over literally all over the United States that sent cards of encouragement uh, gas cards as we were traveling back and forth to Kansas City and it was a reminder of this communal faith that, you know, people from California who we live 2000 miles away from now cared for us Mm -hmm. and wanted to share in the burden that our family was about to go through. Mm -hmm. And so we need to do that better at the local church. And, um, I think it starts with, with pastoral leadership, um, us being vulnerable and us letting go of our pride a little bit and not, uh, not coming across as though we have it all together. Mm-hmm. When uh, just a, a few weeks ago, maybe maybe time flies, but maybe a month ago, uh, one of our one of our people at our church said, "Hey, how how was your week?" And I said, "Man, it was rough. It wasn't a very good week at all." Because mm-hmm. I, I just I've tried to get into the practice of say, hey, how, "Hey, how's it going?" And and everybody's natural response is, "Oh, it's going great." Oh, right, yeah. And and a lot of times I still default to that. Sure. But I've tried more and more to say, "You know what? No, like I had a really bad week. I had a migraine." Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, wiped out half of one of my days. I couldn't get you know some things going. We had uh, two weeks ago. We had an unexpected expense for our truck. You know, squirrel chews through the wiring, and there's 400 bucks just down the drain. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we need to be more transparent of you know not complaining, but just being real of man. You know what? Kids have been <laughs> crazy this week, and mm-hmm. we haven't slept well. Baby's been sick. Um, I'm just tired because a lot mm-hmm. of times, if I'm being honest. I'm limping into Sunday morning, mm-hmm. and I am refreshed by when our worship leader says, good morning, Christ Church, We you stand and sing? And then we sing in one voice the truth about who God is and what he's done for us in Christ. That's refreshing to me. Mm-hmm. And more times than not, I would say, um, I'm limping into that Sunday going, I need to be with God's people. We need to break bread together, and we need to sing songs and pray together, and then allow God's Word to to shape and uh, and uh, file off some of the rough edges. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think from my own life, just being more transparent about what that looks like, and then encouraging to let that filter down in our leaders, you know, our other elders. Say, hey, you know, you don't have to—when you get up and, and give a communion meditation, when you get up and you give—you um, you know, the status of the church, right? Uh, you don't have to paint this with rose colored glasses. Mm-hmm. It's because uh, most people in our audience, if we're being honest, they know what it's like to go through difficulty, right? They know what it's like to have a toddler that's up all night and, you know, you're going to work a 12 hour shift on three or four hours of sleep, or they, you know, they know what it's like for the, uh, the money to run out before the month does. Mm-hmm. Um, they know what it's like to have conflict and difficulty in marriages. And I think, um, Cultural Christianity, taking a step back, has at times caused us to make us make us as leaders say, appear as though you know we got everything together. Because yeah, I'm following Jesus, I got everything together, and uh, I think more often than not, because I'm following Jesus, I realize how much I don't have um, figured out. <laughs> and, uh, and and it's
0: not that just following Jesus messes up your life. It's more that. Following Jesus reveals how messed up your life actually is. Yeah.
1: As you look at the holiness and character of God, mm-hmm. consistently, you realize just how fragile and broken and um, and unravelled your life is, right. and and how and how I would say this, how weak my character can be if things go wrong.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I saw a quote a while back. Um, and I, I can't remember who said it and I'm going to butcher it, but it was, uh, if you want to know if you have an idol, just ask these two questions. Will you sin in order to get it? Mm. Or will you sin if you don't get it? Mm. Yep. And uh, if my character falls apart, whenever I, I'm, I uh, am met with frustration, yep. um, then it doesn't matter if I can give a good sermon yep. or if I have a, a, a good reputation, all that matters is, you know, who am I when life does its worst at me? You yep. know, and that's uh, more and more, it's a very simplistic thing. But I, I think that's why uh, Job was written down mm-hmm. for us to see his immediate responses in the face yeah. of losing everything and realize that is that is the the level of emotional maturity that we need to be striving towards. Yeah. Um, you're, you're I, I would correct nothing, su- suggest nothing to amend to anything you said, I would just add on. Mm-hmm. Uh, for obvious reasons, you're primarily concerned with the pastoral witness in the midst of suffering. Mm-hmm. That that's self evident. Um, I I just I've I've been trying to as a pastor do this shared suffering bit for some time, and I'm not good at it at all. Yeah. But I've I've also had to realize there are things outside of my control and even outside of my influence. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of that is how um transparent and earnest people are gonna be as they come into the Christian mm-hmm. uh body. Yeah. There are so many people that are not gonna say anything about the load that they're carrying. Yeah. And then we only find out on the backside yep. or in the newspaper in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um and and I don't know how to cajole people into share your burden now. Mm -hmm. Let us pray for you now. Let us lay hands on you. Let Mm -hmm. us have the hard conversations with you. Do we need to come into your home to sit with you? Do we need to look over your budget with you? Do we need to intervene in a relationship for you? There are very practical ways in which I believe the local church is supposed to be impacting believers' lives, Mm -hmm. and yet not only— we're prone to blame leadership leadership. Uh-huh. You're not being proactive enough getting no. in people's lives, no. but a lot of times the burden is actually on the individual people who are not being vulnerable as they ought. Um, so I, uh, you prayed for us before we started talking, perhaps this segment could end with me praying for our churches yeah. and our people. Would that be okay with you?
1: Yeah. Do we, do we have time for one more thing? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I would just say one of the things that, um, one of the common worldly misconceptions about suffering in the Christian life is this that that okay god may have a bigger purpose for our suffering mm-hmm. right the telos of first peter the goal of first peter the purpose of first peter is bigger than we can realize right now but a lot of times we're told okay, okay you know glorious coming all of these things are are working for us but god probably doesn't care about us right now the idea right that um John 11, story of Lazarus. Mm -hmm. Jesus says, this sickness will not result in death, but is for the glory of God so Mm -hmm. that the Son of Man may be glorified. So if you're reading John – if you're reading the story of Lazarus with open ears and open eyes, you realize like something – like this is going to affect everything that happens from this point forward. Mm -hmm. And so what I've realized in my pastoral ministry is a lot of people – they have a very narrow view of suffering, mm-hmm. and so they only see what is happening to them in the then and now. So part of the local church, I think one of the things that we can do is give a grand vision that in light of eternity, mm-hmm. what you're going through, as Paul says, is momentary light affliction. And that, um, that, that, that actually what you're going through is in the path of obedience. It is producing for you an eternal weight of glory. Mm-hmm. Um, it's causing to bring about. And so that's easier to teach. I mean, that's it's difficult to teach, but I think it's important to teach. But what I what I saw when I was teaching through the Gospel of John, and particularly the um, story of Lazarus, is that we we are not forced to choose. Okay, there's a greater purpose, but God really doesn't care about us in the here and now. Mm-hmm. He only cares about the end goal of suffering, Hmm. the the greater thing. I think a lot of people have that in mind, right? And I think if I'm being honest, I've thought about that. I've thought about, okay, God, I know that what we're going through is going to do something for your glory and our ultimate good, but it sure just doesn't feel like you're present in my life right Mm -hmm. now. But the story of Lazarus turns that theological incorrect assumption on its head by reminding us that, no, Jesus sees the greater purpose of Lazarus' sickness, Mm -hmm. while at the same time his humanity is grieved that his yes. friends are grieved that their mutual friend died
0: oh, you don't think he's sad at what lazarus went through
1: i, I think I think it's both okay, I, but i think I think he's sad that Lazarus died, yeah, and I think he's sad that his friends don't understand what he 's getting ready to do for them right they're they're mm-hmm. grieving as though Lazarus is dead and going to remain dead,
0: well, even as he's approaching. The tomb. It says that he's weeping and wailing, so that people say, "Look how he loved Lazarus." You yeah. know, yeah. so I, I, well, I'm not going to argue, but I, I am going to say, most people have the scripture around this. The shortest shortest scripture in the Bible is he wept, and that yeah. is in the midst of this this story. Yeah. So, uh, but but you're making the case that God is profoundly. He does care about our suffering. Yeah, absolutely. Jesus, Jesus who is God, mm-hmm. who did suffer, yep. does not dismiss our suffering as somehow unimportant or invaluable in the grand scheme of things, but, but that despite God's huge bird's eye view of the universe and the telos yep. uh, of everything that he is also able to focus on the micro of me and my suffering and to bless that and care about that yep. and to be present to me in that.
1: Yep, absolutely. And I, I, think, I think the world often wants us to pick one or the other. Right. And I think we are at times, our minds are conditioned that way. Sure. And what I want people to know is that in the path of obedience, no suffering is meaningless. And at the same time, Jesus is with you. He has not abandoned you in your moment of need. That both those things can be true. Your suffering is working for His glory and your ultimate good. And at the same time, you are loved and you are cared for. And I think returning to that both-can-be-true mentality Mm -hmm. in our lives, I think it's vital for a healthy local church and a healthy believer, which obviously make up a healthy local church. Um, And so that's why I just – that's – from a pastoral standpoint, that's what I want people to know is that – in the path of obedience, your light momentary affliction is is uh, producing for you an eternal weight of glory. But don't forget that in that light momentary affliction, Jesus is with you the whole way and he cares for you.
0: That's a good closing reflection. Thank you, brother. All right. Well, let's pray. And, and Sounds then we'll, great. Uh, Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. Father, I thank you for my brother, Coulter, um, who's been a, a consistent friend to me over these years as he and I have become uh, husbands and fathers and hopefully— uh, uh, men who serve in the pulpit and mm. uh, bring you joy and glory, Father. Mm. Neither of us has uh, been perfected yet, so we pray that your, your Holy Spirit um, reside powerfully upon us mm. in our households, in our churches, that, um, you know, Father, we know that we cannot save the whole world. We know only you can do that. Mm. But we do pray that you would make us powerful instruments of your saving work in uh, the realms which you've placed us. Mm. Uh, we renounce the the evil, of the world and of our culture that would seek to to compromise the purity of your word, mm-hmm. and we ask Father that you would um, that you would make a fertile planting ground mm-hmm. around us that we can rejoice in and be um, sowers and harvesters in. Uh, Father, uh, the American church in particular is just so full of people who 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 say they love you and yet are so far from you, mm-hmm. and uh, not only are they disinterested in the creeds that have been uh, formulated to help us know you, but they're disinterested in the way of life that has uh, been set aside for us, lives of suffering and non-retaliation. Mm-hmm. Um, Father, uh, we understand that the faith you've given us does not neatly fit into any worldly agenda or party or political movement. Mm-hmm. Um, we ask that you would um, that you would give discernment to your people, that they would be divorced from... Um, Worldly ways of thinking of it's, it's either one way or the other and we ask Father that you would build in, in believers uh, a capacity to understand the both and nature of faith that you are both Lord of all creation and Lord of our lives individually and that you call us Father to similarly uh, personally know you and be changed by you but be corporately involved in the life and work of the church. I pray that you would give Coulter and his church uh, disciples that are earnestly turned towards you who are uh, uh, really one mind and one body Mm. and that you would likewise bless me, Father, with uh, a biblically recognizable church and that you would uh, keep Coulter and me from ever jeopardizing that, that you would make us only um, facilitators. Mm. And Father, um, in closing, I would just like to lift up uh, Coulter's wife, Erin A., who Uh, has struggled and suffered with cancer but who is a wonderful mother and um, who is raising up these these two boys especially young Noah who's who's just had a a harder start in life than some but uh, we pray for his boy's health and um, that you would just let their household be filled by your holiness and the joy and peace that comes from knowing you even when um, not all the other uh, comforts of, of life are available Father, give Colter the strength that he needs to be a, a godly representative in his home, in the household of God, in his wider community, and let him uh, experience true joy, not just in the easy times, but especially in the hard-suffering yeah. times of life. Mm-hmm. Father, we ask that this conversation that we had would be a, a blessing to anyone who, who listens to it, and we ask that uh, that you would um, work in the hearts of, of listeners to be convicted and their, their desire to avoid suffering and uh, to help them to be driven into corporate suffering together with the church um, so that on the, the day of resurrection, they might be welcome in your kingdom. Amen. We ask these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. So glad you joined us. And uh, like I said at the beginning, if you think this is helpful, share it with somebody. Um, and we just ask you to be in prayer for, for us and our churches In uh, southeastern Kansas and and northeastern Oklahoma, Uh, the people here matter too. So pray for us. God bless you.